Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro, and today our theme is when it's time to say no to leading. When it's time to say no to leading. Actually, it's part one of two. Now, there's so much leadership content out there right now, and actually I'm part of it, contributing to it. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 1, he that desires to be an overseer or elder uh, desires a beautiful thing or a good thing, a noble thing. And yet then Paul goes right into, but here's, here's the requirements of being an elder, and he lays all these lists of, of requirements. And, and his basic principle is this, you know, whether it being above reproach, sober, self-controlled, etc. that the higher up the ladder you go in leadership, the less freedom you have. In other words, the more power you have, people are watching you. And uh, thus you can't say to yourself, well, I don't want to be under that yoke where everything is, is so visible and people are making judgments on me. I just want to be myself. Well, my answer to you, I think, would be Paul's answer. Well, then you don't want to be in leadership because leadership is to be able to say to people, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, uh, God said no to me in exercising leadership uh, for the first 15 years or 14 years of me leading. I was immature. I I was dangerous. Uh, I thought God had me serving under leaders that were less gifted than I was. Uh, uh, I see here nor there. It's probably not true, but more importantly, they had better character than I did. Uh, I was like a 12 or, you know, a 450 horsepower engine in a small car. I just wanted, I was like exploding on the inside. The problem was I had lots of vision, but weak on wisdom and character. I, I thought I was way further along than I was. I was what the Bible would call a fool. And so whether it was, I think of my early years as a student leader and then uh, on varsity staff and uh, just seminary, uh, even my, my early years at New Life, I, I remember speaking, uh, doing some outside speaking, you know, planning a church in New York City, you, you immediately get an A for entertainment value. Just the stories of people are entertaining and can hold a crowd. And I remember getting asked to speak in our early years of planning our church. And I could just spin a few stories of people and uh, folks loved it around the country. And I was uh, about to fly to a city and speak. And God just had me so gripped that I was in no place to be speaking externally and uh, just stopped. Uh, I knew I wasn't where I needed to be. It wasn't that I was living in sin. It was that I was immature uh, and not living everything I was preaching. And uh, the same thing went with writing a book. It took me a long time to write my first book, and all I had to do was timing. And, and I learned very, in very much the hard way that you know, not to take every opportunity or door that opens Uh, In fact, this tendency to seize more and more opportunities of leadership for God has destroyed many a good leader who did so prematurely before he or she was ready. And they rushed into it and they saw the vision, but not the process to get there. And by the grace of God, I avoided a few of those. The question I want to invite you to ask uh, as we begin this podcast, and I want to invite you to ask at the end of the podcast is this, when is it time to say no to leadering leadership opportunities. When's the time to say no to opportunities to, to lead or expand? And I think there's really three reasons around this. One is our inner life, God's limits, and, and God's timing. So we'll get to that. But let me just ramble a bit on, on some of the themes around and how I actually ended up 
asking this question of myself very seriously over the last two decades. First of all, there's a great scripture in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, you know, who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And basically saying, you know, God puts us in charge of some people, servants in his household, and we are to give them food and, the, you know, scripture to them in their proper time. It's actually a parable to, to leaders. And, I, you know, verse 45 and 46 of Matthew 25. And we, so we want to be giving food and feeding and leading the people whom God has given us to lead. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 10 to 13, uh, he talks about the field in which God has given them, the people whom God's given them to lead. He's saying to the Corinthians, you are part of that field that God's given me to lead. And so leadership is a capacity to influence. Now, for the large majority of you listening, your pastors, your leaders, whether it's in a nonprofit, the church, marketplace, but every person has leadership in them. And that is the capacity to influence, whether at work, home, leading, marketplace, church. But the story that really uh, drove this home to me about when is it time to say no to leading came out of a, one of the desert fathers in the fourth century, a guy named Theodore of Fermi. And he was made a priest or a deacon in that day, uh, but he was constantly avoiding it. And his story goes like this. These old men brought him back to the city of Scetus, and they said, do not abandon your role as a deacon, they said to Theodore. And Theodore, Theodore said to them, let me pray to God so he can tell me for sure whether I ought to function publicly as a deacon or as a leader. So this is how he prayed to God. If it is your will that I should stand in this place, Lord, as a leader, make me sure of it. And then a pillar of fire appeared before him, stretching from earth to heaven. And a voice said, if you can become like a pillar of fire, go and be a deacon. Go and be a leader. And so Theodore decided against it. And that's the end of the story. Now, was it an impossibly high standard? Was he avoiding responsibility? But Theodore saw this fiery pillar uniting heaven and earth. And he saw that the calling of leadership was to become fire. And that to be ordained, to be laid hands on as a leader, uh, was to be, take hold of a destiny that required a, a life of prayer and watchfulness to grow into. And for Theodore at that time to lay hold of a spiritual holdness, at, uh, which he didn't have at that point, was to make an assumption, was presumptuous. Now that story is meant to make us uncomfortable. That exercising a public role on behalf of God in the church involves standing in the, in the furnace of God's action that unites heaven and earth. And it's a dangerous place. And if you don't see it as a dangerous place, you're missing something. We're missing something. Just think about it with me. Think of John the Baptist. You know, he lived in the desert, life in the desert, hidden years, uh, almost 30 of them. He's anonymous, right? And we don't know what point he entered the desert. Let's say he was 15. Uh, he emerges when he's 30. But he emerges after these years in the desert. He's probably in a scene. He's unafraid. He's He's preaching to the religious leaders, the most powerful people in the country in Israel at that time. But he, he preaches uh, to them. Not He's not worried about what they're thinking. He's not in front of them. He's bringing a word from God, explosive word from God, in the desert. I mean, it's the last place to start a church or a ministry, the desert. 
He's dressed in, in, the, in the clothing of Elijah from hundreds of years before. He's breaking with all the norms of his day, but he's free. He, he's got great clarity of the idols in the culture, the idols in the church. And he actually confronts Herod then for marrying his brother's wife and stands for the sanctity of marriage, ends up being beheaded. But, uh, but it's an amazing story because he, he fleshes out what uh, Theodore heard, you know, about exercising a public role for God involves standing in the furnace of divine action that unites heaven and earth. Think of Peter and the 12 disciples. I mean, Jesus had them do stuff, you know, in the early years, you know, preach, heal, they cast out demons, they distributed the bread, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, but it was limited leadership. And after three years of day and night with Jesus, quite a bit of intensive training, uh, they have, a, you know, another colossal failure at the cross, very broken. and. Um, you know, just imagine Peter, you know, weeping after the rooster crows three times. He looks at Jesus, and, and Jesus is being crucified for his sins, and he's free. Uh, and, and, and the grace and mercy and the love of the crucified Jesus is almost too much for him to take. He, he weeps. And, but, but Jesus had to drive out of Peter all that pride, that need to be popular and sensational and a worldly success and powerful. And, and, and before he took any major responsibility of leadership, he just had to be so broken. I mean, guy had a lot of failures prior to that. But his commissioning comes only after great brokenness. And then the Lord Jesus is able to say to him, feed my sheep. <clears throat> Could you imagine an unbroken Peter with all that you know, personality power and obviously gifted power? And then Peter, you know, then Jesus says to him, when you're older, someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, referring to him being crucified upside down and, and, uh, but it's interesting, even Peter, even at that point, was limited to, to the Jews. He was an apostle to the Jews. It was going to be Paul who was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But again, it's Peter's been through a lot uh, before he exercised this major role of leadership in the Jerusalem church. And uh, he has become fire, but it came through you know, quite, a, quite, a, quite a history, quite a past, quite an experience of brokenness. You know, we have great limits. I, I was with a friend recently, and I was telling him about another leader I know well, and has a very large ministry, <clears throat> and we would often speak together. And, uh, you know, this friend of mine and fellow leader, just was a, just great strategic uh, gifts, executive gifts of leadership, and uh, a calling, I would say, that <clears throat> quite extensive and far beyond anything I am gifted to do or able to do. And at first, I tried to be like him, and and I realized, oh my gosh, I, I just don't have the capacity to walk with God and do what this guy's doing in terms of carrying the kind of responsibility, building a size organization with a number of staff and budgets and arms to his ministry. And, uh, and I just was so aware of my limits and God just pulling me back and saying, don't even go, don't even go near that or try to, quote, be like him. You know, it'll destroy you. You know, I think of Paul spending three years in the Arabian desert, you know, three years. You know, what was he doing? I mean, just God just working on him after his conversion prior to his release uh, in Galatians and the apostleship. One of my favorite stories in scripture is the seven sons of Sceva out of Acts chapter 19. And uh, they're observing these seven sons of Sceva. Uh, they observe the extraordinary miracles being done through the apostle Paul and the explosive growth going on in the Ephesian church. And they want to see God work through them in a similar fashion. So they long for Paul's powerful ministry and Paul's success. The problem is they lack one thing. Uh, they don't have a life investment of walking uh, in loving union with Jesus. They don't have the history with Jesus that Paul does. 
And so the story goes in Acts 19 like this, you know, the, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, and they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them a, such a beating they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <clears throat> so in those days, I mean, just like today, prestige was bestowed on people who released God's power over evil spirits. And that's why Jewish exorcists in ancient times were so popular. The demons knew Paul, they knew Jesus, but they didn't know these seven sons of the chief priest Sceva. And these seven sons of Sceva were dealing with spiritual realities as leaders that they did not personally understand. They barely escaped with their lives. Think about it. What would have been like for them to have had a, quote, successful ministry? If God had not stopped them in their tracks, how many people would have been hurt in the process? What might have been the impact in the early church 5, 10, 20 years later if these seven sons of Sceva had taken leadership in the church would their lack of integrity have produced a pretend, inauthentic community? Listen, Jesus is not a commodity. We can't use him or seize him. He's not a miraculous power that we channel at will uh, to grow our churches. Uh, we're not CEOs of secular organizations. We're not leading secular nonprofits to improve the world. To be a pastor and a lead as a Christian in his name, not our own, is very different. And to want the power of Jesus without a life with Jesus, it's a disaster. It's, 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 it will end up running out of the house naked and bleeding. I know it's happened to me. So when is it time to say no to leadership? When is it time to say no to perhaps more leadership, a, a greater expansion? Uh, I'm going to give you three reasons, which there's, um, there's many more, but these are my three top ones at least. The first is this, when our inner life or maturity is not ready. When our inner life or maturity is not ready. And I, I love the, you know, my favorite illustration of this is, is the skyscraper one, which I've, I've talked about before in this podcast, and it's found in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. And it's, <clears throat> you know, we built a skyscraper. You've got to, if you had to go, you know, 100 stories, you got to go 20 stories down into the ground and uh, with these steel pilings. And and if that those pilings or steel beams have not gone deep in the ground over time, as we build our organizations and churches and ministries, uh, the building will lean to the right or to the left, or uh, the building will, will crack, on, cracks in the walls will be revealed or the windows over time. And that's why the question of why do so many people finish poorly is, is asked to me so often. Why, why Pete, I'll, young leaders will contact me, see, Pete, how are we supposed to have faith in the future when I, when I see this? And, and, and part of it is it's the kind of you know, care that are needed to actually be a leader, the inner life care, uh, an investment that's needed for an outer life uh, expansive ministry. And we say yes to things so quickly because we you know, apparently God's opened the door. And it may be that God opened the door. It may be that the evil ones opened the door. I mean, I think of Jesus in the wilderness, uh, who was definitely inviting Jesus to an expansive ministry very quickly and right now, uh, which Jesus said no to all the temptations of the wilderness and, and went back and and humbly you know, walked to the cross to die. Uh, there was a timing uh, of that ministry. So the question is, what, what has God given me to lead? And is it now? So I think even for myself with this podcast or writing, uh, there's a whole, you know, every time you, you step into something new, uh, there's a discernment question. And, and it's why it's so important to have some honest, authentic 
community around you and in, in the form of wisdom of counselors or spiritual directors, therapists, mentors, whatever. But and one of the most mature questions you can ask those around you who have the courage to be honest with you is, how do you experience me? And you need patience for that process of, of is my inner life able to sustain what this new opportunity will place me into? It's interesting. I, I had two uh, ex- examples where I was involved in a spiritual discernment process with uh, spiritual directors. And if you know anything about Ignatian spirituality, of discerning God's will of consolations and desolations, uh, you know, if there's desolations and death, that's often an indication God's leading you a different direction. And that's the general principle. If there's consolation where it's life and joy and getting a sense of energy from God, that's a sense of God's calling you to it. And in both these cases, I was in a critical moment and I, I was experiencing tremendous desolation. And the natural counsel given to me by two very godly people was it's probable God's asking you to move on. And and I sure want to get out of the pain of local church leadership uh, in both cases. But as I kind of, as I waited, uh, the invitation actually was to suffer. And it was more of the, uh, of God doing a work in me and then over time granting a revelation of a, a new way of leading, basically doing a deep change in me and thus a change in my leadership. And I thought of Eugene Peterson's book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. As you know, he died recently. And he, I think it's one of his best books. It's, it's an exposition on the book of Jonah. And he basically says that Jonah was fleeing from Nineveh to an illusion called Tarshish. And, and that Nineveh is a local church. It's with sinners just like us. Every, every local church is Nineveh. And he talks about ecclesiastical pornography. We read about these great churches that, that we think we can just get there. That's a church where it's really happening. And he says, there is no such place. That's the illusion of Tarshish. And we disobey God. And we run to this kind of pornographic church that doesn't have sinners like our church. And his point is that every church is Nineveh filled with sinners. And I just, you know, you just slug it out, you know, with sinners day by day. Uh, that's why sometimes expanding a ministry can be running from God and not to him. One of the great desert father sayings is by a desert father called Orsicius. And he said this, you know, third, fourth century, fifth century, if an unbaked brick is put in the foundation near to the river, it does not last for a single day. But if it's, this brick is baked, it lasts like a stone. So is a person with a carnal disposition of soul who has not been in the fire through fear of God like Joseph. They will utterly disintegrate when they accept a position of authority. It is good for him to know his limitations, to avoid the weight of being in charge of anything. And that's why you'll read in the church fathers in the early centuries that ordination to the priesthood or leadership is presented as a temptation to be avoided. And John Cassian in his conference writes things like flee from bishops and basically the danger of being ordained. And so many of the early church fathers in the early centuries were monks and theologians and then bishops. And uh, for most of the first 1,500 years of the church, the majority of leaders came out of monasteries. And uh, it's very interesting, isn't it? They were first prayers and theologians and then leaders in the church. All right, so the first one is, you know, one of the ways, I, one of the questions I got to ask myself when a new opportunity affords itself is, is do I have the inner life and the maturity in God? Am I anchored enough, deep enough to step into this? 
And it's good, not, you know, not just to listen to God on your own, but to get some counsel, you know, from those around you. But the second is this, you got to ask yourself, is God's limits? You know, just asking yourself the question is God's limits, uh, how is this going to impact other parts of my life? And I had a mentor years ago say to me, Pete, nothing is innocent. Nothing is innocent. In other words, every speaking engagement you take, every article you write, uh, social media at the time didn't exist, uh, but speaking at a conference, all of this releases something, writing a book. And it's not innocent. Uh, don't make believe you think it's innocent because it's not. It's another ministry to a wider audience. And so, um, you know, as you think about, you know, stepping out of something new, you've got to ask yourself, how does this impact the rest of my life? So, for example, uh, if you're married, uh, how is how is this going to impact your marriage? You stepping out into this and, and your raising of children, if you've got children, or if you're single, walking out of healthy singleness with some healthy community around you. Are you able to take this on and remain in loving union with Jesus? Uh, or is it going to get you so busy that now your Sabbaths are going to be compromised, your, your pace of life, uh, your being with Jesus, your life of prayer? Uh, will you still have adequate time for reflection uh, and study, especially if you're a teacher of Scripture? Uh, is running now this multi-site or, or taking on a seminary or a large parachurch or a mega church? You know, is it? Are you gonna? If you take this on, how's it gonna impact the rest of your life? And again, how might God be coming to you in your limits? Because lim God's limitations are for your benefit. Uh, they're for your good. They're for my good, even though we hate them. That's why it's so tied to rebellion for for us. But I want to ask myself the question about when I get my calendar out. And I start looking at what it really costs to, say, even go to another part of the city and give a little talk. Time I get there, all the phone calls preceding it, preparation, prayer, getting there, coming back. And at one hour, commitment really is about a day, uh, very often. Uh, and again, the phone calls and emails that follow it. And, and so I've got to ask myself, what's the, pr what's the primary responsibility God's asked me to do right now? And how does that work out? And in terms of limits. And so so as I, before I take something on, I want to ask the question, how are God's limits coming to me? And how does this all fit in there to that? And lastly, it's just God's voice and timing. Uh, you know, I always want to have a sense of what's God saying, right? And, and his timing. There's always this climate of in discernment of I'm open to God's will fully, whatever he says. I'll do whatever you say, God. That's a very difficult place to be in. It, it's Jesus teaching us to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, Lord, not my will, but your will. I mean, half of, half of that story in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus teaching us to pray. And it's that struggle of re remaining in a place of openness and disposition of God, whatever you want. And, um, you know, that I'm just open, Lord, to whatever you have for me, uh, I say yes to you in that. So let me invite you to, um, to just... Look at your look what's ahead of you in terms of discernment and wisdom, and say, Father, is this my time? You know, to step into this, and uh, what is the opportunities coming your way that just are not for right now? They are for later. And uh, when I have said yes to things prematurely, uh, and I have realized later I was overreaching. Uh, or it wasn't God's timing, or I couldn't really juggle this and what I was juggling. I just had to humbly, as it says in the book of Proverbs, uh, ask 
forgiveness, repent, and say I was wrong and that I'm unable to do this. And and so it's one of the great qualities of of, of good leadership. And that is to be able to say, uh, no, I, I was wrong and humbly being able to pull back. So again, uh, when is the time to say no to leadership uh, or more leadership? How do I know that? Well, you want to check out my inner life of maturity. Am I in a place spiritually to actually do it? Secondly is, uh, what are the limits I have around me? And personally, the time I need to be with God, uh, my marriage, maybe your responsibilities at your church or, or ministry and what you're carrying to do, to do an adequate job. Can I stretch out and continue to do that well? And then thirdly is, as I do wait on the Lord and pray, and what is he saying? Because sometimes it doesn't all fit, but you have a certainty God is saying it uh, to go for it. And you need to go for it. At the same time, you're always holding with an open hand. Uh, and sometimes even the fact that you go for it and you fail, or it appears to fail, but actually in the, in the failing and in your, in your humbling and brokenness in that process actually is the will of God uh, for you because he's doing something profound in you. And then you find yourself humiliated and people criticize you or misunderstand you. And God's in all that too, because he's molding and shaping you into the image of his son. And the way he grows us is not through successes and upward and the way we think it's going to go, uh, larger, bigger, better, faster. No, the way God's going to grow us is through failure and uh, going downward. And it's the, it's the path of every leader in scripture, and it's your path as well. Uh, it's slow, which I'll pick up on the next uh, podcast, part two of this, when it's time to say no to lead- leadership. So my invitation to you, depending on what fits you, is this. Um, th- there's two options for you to go forward. One is, uh, let me invite you to a... Um, a leadership conference we're going to have for a day, a transformative experience of EH Discipleship on Leadership uh, for you and your team in February 7th here in New York City for a day. You can check that out at emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, it's called the EH Emotionally Healthy Leadership Conference. And the other is, if you're, if you're ready, is to dive into learning about the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, because basically all leadership flows from great discipleship. And, and so we develop these courses as a framework of a discipleship that deeply changes our lives and develops leadership. And uh, it's called Mastering the Launch of the EH Discipleship Course. And we, I do a once a month training. Uh, next one's November 29th on our website. And it's a shift of the whole culture into being with Jesus, a deep walk with Christ, reflective. Um, and uh, we recommend you pilot it first. But Whatever one year fits you best, let me invite you to prayerfully consider it and take a step forward uh, to a deeper, wider spirituality that may not be what you've been exposed to up to this point. So God bless you, everybody. Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. I look forward to seeing you next week. <music>